Hello and welcome again to another Baseball America podcast. Uh, this isn't going to be your normal, typical prospect handbook podcast that me and JJ would do, a JJ and the Bear podcast, or a JJ and Matt Eddy podcast, or in any combination of any Baseball America staffers you've ever heard of podcast. This is a new podcast that uh, we're going to introduce our intern, our spring intern, Hudson Belinsky. Say hello, Hudson. Howdy. Um, he's starting his internship today. He'll be here at least 10 weeks. Uh doing a little bit of helping on uh, draft coverage, uh, a lot of stuff around the office that will, is yet to be known. But today we're going to take a little bit of time to get to know him. So just briefly, Hudson, just who are you and where are you from? Uh, so I'm Hudson Bulinski. I grew up in New Jersey. I uh, grew up a New York Yankees fan. Got really interested in the game uh, right around the time the Yankees were winning the World Series all the time. Um, so late 90s, early 2000s, uh, and then kind of became more interested in the scouting side of baseball uh, towards the probably the middle of my high school years. Started going to games as soon as I got my license, uh, meeting people, meeting scouts. Um, worked at a minor league baseball stadium in concessions, actually. It was my first job. Uh, that was the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Mmm, bacon. Uh, <laughs> Chris P. Bacon was one of the, the ham racer or meat racers. Um, so I worked there for two years. Used to get there around 3, 4 o'clock. Watched batting practice. Got to see a lot of good prospects come through there. Didn't really know why they were good prospects. Usually just read about them in Baseball America or elsewhere. Just Baseball America. No one reads anything <laughs> elsewhere. Uh, and then, you know, got to college. Um... You know, started to do some writing of my own, some blogging in various places. Uh, started to actually talk to scouts about what they were seeing. Um, interned a few different places. Uh, then spent two years as an associate scout with a team, um, evaluating players in high school and college. Um, yeah, so kind of just developing my approach to scouting uh, and trying to become a better evaluator wherever I could go. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of me in, in a nutshell. So when did you become confident that you could evaluate at a, a professional level? Um, so when I first started um, scouting for a team, I had sent in some reports prior to actually being brought on. Um, and, you know, kind of at that point, it was, these aren't terrible, so... Let's see what you got. Um, and then, you know, it's a few months into that where I was sending in reports often and not getting berated for them being terrible. Um, you know, and then I started to get a better idea of um, the scouting system because I feel like everyone, when you first get into evaluating players, you can tell good from bad. Um, but I had a tendency to overrate or underrate um and, you know, I, I feel like my first year of, of scouting for a team, I was able to kind of sharpen my scale uh, a little bit. Um, still have quite a ways to go, but I, I feel pretty confident in my evaluations, um, at least that I'm on the right track and able to identify players. How quickly were you able to separate performance from uh, projection? Like, where you get a guy, Joe Ball player, who hits really well at double A, but might not necessarily be anything more than a double-A player. Uh, yeah, that's that's certainly uh, something that you still kind of have to battle. Um, the 
you know, eventually I got away from looking at stats at all um, for quite a while and used to just go to the field and see, you know, here's what I, I'm seeing. Um, and if the stats line up with that, that's great. Um, if not, then you'll know, have to maybe take a deeper look and figure out why is that happening. Um, is it something that I'm doing wrong, something that I'm not looking at? Or is it something more approach-based or something based on you know experience level or uh, you know the, the first the, one of the lessons I've learned over the years is it, look at the tools first and define what the tools are and then go from there um, the tools will tell you why stats are the way they are so are you one of those guys who might come in blind to a ballpark I mean you know where you're going you're going to watch teams x y and z and you probably heard about certain players but you won't look at where BA ranked them or uh, you know all their accolades that have followed them to and from. You just want to see this guy is just for for your uh, purposes. He's John Doe, even if he's a super stud prospect. Yeah, uh, I think that's super important, especially at the amateur level, um, when you can kind of get bogged down and on focusing on one player. Sometimes, um, you know, I know. In the spring last year, when you were sort of focusing on the players we liked a little bit, um, there was more of a kind of more of an emphasis on following the players that you had already identified, and I think that's that's good and bad. You need to have an open mind about somebody being able to surprise you, um, and then certainly on you know, when the summer comes and you're checking out summer ball, you when you say you have to write you know write up every player on the team. It's, I think it's super important to go into that process blind um, because, like I said earlier, I think it, identifying the tools is the most important thing, um, and it's easier. It's easy to kind of confuse yourself if you're looking at a prospect who has really good numbers but doesn't have necessarily the same level of tools. Is it harder in this day and age, you think, it's even compared to a few years ago when you started, to, to go in blind given all the information that's there? Uh, about every player, it's kind of hard to get up and hear a PA announcer announce, you know, X, Y, and Z player and not have a have heard of him before. You know, yeah, it's it's definitely hard. Um, the the places you can do it usually are at bigger events. Um, you know, for example, East Coast Pro. If you show up there, odds are there's going to be people you've never heard of before, who are uh, maybe an earlier event in the summer would make more sense. But PG National, for example. You go there, you're going to see a whole bunch of guys who have never really played on a national scene before. And it's easier to go in blind, at least to some extent. There are some guys who are already identified by that time, but um, those early summer events are super, you know, are much easier to do that. But yeah, it's, it's difficult, especially when you get into the pro level. Um, if you're going to see a, a game, say in the Sally League, it's hard not to know that this guy was a first-round pick, especially when you follow the draft, you know, like we do. Um, you know, it becomes more and more difficult. But you know, I think again, it comes back to being open-minded and knowing that there's a there's a reason that every player is on the field, and you have to give them that respect um, going into it that they may surprise you and may show you that they are a prospect. You know, I think it's well publicized that the life of a scout, um, be he an associate or a bird dog or a 40-year vet uh, takes you a lot of different locations around the country. Just where, where are some of the places you've been scouting players? Um, well, I mean, I guess the, my favorite place to scout might be the Cape Cod League. Um, I think that would be a common answer. 
Um, I really like scouting complex baseball. Um, I don't think that's a common answer, really, but where you start to get to, to see players. I mean, most teams will you know, not really touch a guy's mechanics at all and, and kind of just let them have that first summer to see what they are and what they can do. If everything is going to work, um, then why change it? Um, so that kind of level where you just see players going in with their own mentalities, I really like. Um, and then probably after that, it's it's got to be double A. Um, the Eastern League I've seen a lot of, um, and I feel like that's a a great test for for players is that that jump from a ball to double a you you see a lot of guys who are suspects that you can kind of cross off and then you see a lot of guys who are prospects who kind of blossom and then you know a minute later they're in the big leagues so it's it's an exciting place there so how about the the game or games you've been at with the most talent on the field Ooh, um most guys that maybe you're going to see on whenever our top 100 list comes out or a, a list like that who wound up being top prospects? Um, I mean, the the Cape League All-Star game a couple of years ago uh, before I was actually on with the team was, was uh, you know, I got to go there and see Sean Manaya and Jeff Hoffman in the, on the same field and, you know, watch batting practice and the home run derby. You know, so there was a, a ton of talent there. That's mostly guys from the you know the 13 or 14 drafts um but you know that that atmosphere was kind of loaded um you know i feel like uh east coast pro have been fortunate enough to be there over the years i think i've been there three years in a row um when you get to see a team you know that's got i mean i think it was the braves team in 2012 that had uh, Austin Meadows, Clint Frazier, Josh Hart, Travis Demerit, you know, all these guys on the same team. Um, but, you know, that was a pretty loaded year because, I mean, that's that's always a loaded event. That's one of my favorite events. But it's, it's got to be, you know, one of those two. Um, I have been fortunate enough to see some minor league all-star games. Um, but those kind of... You know, those aren't necessarily about who the best prospects are. It's kind of who's performing in the league. Um, and, and the Cape All-Star game has taken some flack over the past couple years of sort of becoming that. But, um, you know, I would still say the, the level of talent on the Cape was was extraordinary. And I guess I'm talking about 2012 or 2013 when I had the opportunity to be at that game. So, yeah, those would be the ones. So what are you most excited to do here in your uh time at Baseball America? Well, um, I love amateur baseball. I'm excited to to cover the draft and to help everyone out in you know, any way I can. My goal here is to give give people an understanding of who everyone is in, in baseball and you know in the draft and not miss out on, on any players. I, I wanna have I wanna know who everyone is uh, going into the draft and be able to, you know, round off you know, a, a quick scouting report on everyone. So um, I'm excited to really get connected um, and, yeah, identify players and, and tools and narratives for the upcoming draft. So when you wind up, I don't know if you've been scouting long enough to have truly missed on a player yet, but when you do, if you do have, um, what kind of changes do you go back and make to your process? 
Um, yeah, so I don't know if it, it necessarily takes a missing, missing yeah. on a player yeah. to to have that kind of internal dialogue um, where you're you're thinking, why did I have this guy so high, or why did I have this guy so low? Why did everybody like him more than I did, or vice versa? Um, you know, I think for me, I still feel like I'm I'm really mastering some things, um, or at least getting to the point where I. I feel comfortable evaluating, um, but I think every day you have to go to the field and, and figure out something else about your process. Um, and anyone in the game who, you know, the top evaluators will, will tell you the same thing, is that they go out and get better every day and, and find something new every day, and I think that's a mindset you have to keep uh, in this game if you're going to continue to grow. When's the last time you paid to get into a ballpark? And watched as a fan. Uh, has to be senior year of high school, so maybe five years. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't like to pay to play to go to baseball games. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll spend my income on other things. Yeah. So what? So what game was it? What did you? What finally pried the uh, dollars from your wallet? Um, you know, it might have been. It was before I would get credentialed to go into minor league games. Um, I think I went out to Harrisburg that that summer or that spring to see uh, Mr. Bryce Harper. I thought you were going to say Strasburg. That. No, that was Strasburg mania was, was over by then, unfortunately. But, you know, I got to go see Harper right when he had promoted been promoted to AA. Um, and even at that point, I think I had started to be credentialed at some places, but there was a, an event that, you know, some f- friends were interested in going out, and so we hopped in the car and, I know we drove, we saw them at Reading, so it was Harrisburg at Reading, so Reading not a huge trip from home, um, so we saw Bryce Harper, stayed out there, and then saw him again the next day, and, um, you know, even at that point in my um, my evaluation process, you know, you could just tell um, it was elite bat speed, elite power, um, and he did a few other things well, too, so um, that was that was exciting. Um, Were you able to go in blind on him? <laughs> no, uh, I wonder, you know, there were some guys who I actually, you know, liked having, you know, from that series even, having gone in blind. I think uh, I think the Phillies had a, I think Pettibone pitched one game there, if, if I remember correctly. Um, so I was able to kind of go in blind on him. And another guy was uh, Tyler Kanigi. Um, yeah, he's really still... Farm, who's kind of kind of struggling up the ladder at this point. But yeah, yeah, he. Uh... I used to, I think if listeners of the podcast know I used to cover the Trenton Thunder and the Double A Yankees team and for whatever reason whenever Kanigi would face the Thunder he would spit the bit really hard so we've uh, the backstory with him for me is just every time I watch him he gets shelled <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of interesting um, let's see so how about the the best performance you've seen from a prospect in person and I think I know the answer. From a prospect pro. in person, uh, pro prospect, or amateur, give me both. Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, performance-wise, you mean in terms of like that form, game, the formats? dominant game? Yeah. Um, well, I did, I did see a, a no hitter once in the minor leagues uh, a few years ago. I saw Jeb Steffen. Um, oh yeah. Combine and a no hitter in Lakewood. I remember. I was at that game with you, as a matter of fact, for the first couple innings, and then I got ill. Definitely and had, ill. And yeah. I had to leave. Yeah. And then you texted me later and said, oh, yeah, you missed a no-hitter. 
Because <laughs> we were there to see Jason Hirsch in part. That's right, and Hirsch was awesome that day, too. Yeah. Um, I think he only went three innings. He was kind of on a, a pitcher innings cap at that point, but it was right after he had been drafted. Um, I think we both saw Jose Fernandez together. Oh, yeah, there there you go. That's that's as good as it gets. Um, Jose Fernandez probably struck out. I think it was eight that day. Yeah, but he was just ridiculous and plus everything. <laughs> yeah, just it, it, saying video game stuff really didn't, you know, do it. So the, there's a term around Baseball America, um, personal cheese ball, which is a prospect you like or prospect or prospects you like who might not be getting, the, you know, might not be a, Brian, a Byron Buxton or a Chris Bryant or a guy like that, but you really like him almost, not, not quite irrationally, but he just does it for you. Do you have a, a cheese ball of sorts? Uh, you might run up higher in your personal top 150. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a guy who I had the chance to see uh, from the Marlins who, who actually was traded this year, uh, a guy named Reed Redman. Um, was in was in the trade with Brian Flynn. I forget who they got back. Was it the Crow deal? Yeah, I think it was the Crow deal. Um, but he was just a, a guy, the first time I saw him, it was just a a live arm action plus arm speed and had just been converted um, from shortstop I believe so he, he was a personal cheese ball I guess um, not really a guy who's gonna pop up on a top hundred by any means more of a relief prospect but some feel for spin and a live arm um, I guess also in that system would be Brent Keys uh, a guy who just always hits um, and has struggled to stay healthy, but when he's on the field, it seems like it's always going well. Um, yeah, I don't have a ton of guys who I, I seem to like a lot more. Uh, there are guys who I like a lot less. Um, I guess they'd be their per- person, uh, personal rotten cheese ball or rancid cheese ball. Rancid cheese ball. Um, well, Trey Ball, I'm, I mean, he, he's, he's struggled over the the course of his pro career, I mean, I didn't, I didn't like the off-speed as much as other people seem to coming into the draft. Um, I also hadn't, um, you know, had some some poor reports on on him personally. Um, so that's that's sort of a uh, one who I'm not as high on, and I, I can understand the the hype, and I can understand exactly why you'd like him. I and mean, it's you know, people don't throw 94 with that frame and that body usually. Um, so. You know, and, and I think he certainly has a chance to prove me wrong. Uh, but, you know, just that guy I'm not as high on as, as most would be. You mentioned just the the sheer velocity of a guy like him. What do you make of the explosion of velocity throughout the game? I mean, I, I think on the last podcast with JJ and myself, we were talking about uh, maybe me um, keeping track of how many game, consecutive games I can go seeing a guy throw 95. And it, right. it seems like every day there's an arm somewhere throwing 95. Right. Um, you know, I think it's it's something we have to keep an eye on and be careful with. Um, I, I think we have a problem where kids try to pitch to a radar gun, and and to an extent, that's what you need to do. Um, and that's what some publications will really pump up is guys who can throw the ball hard, and schools will recruit kids who can throw the ball hard. But um, you know, uh, the there are some really really good pitching coaches around these days who who can understand things mechanically and um, just functionally um, and will teach you how to throw um, and teach you how to throw 
and stay healthy, really. Um, so there's, I mean, it's certainly an exciting time in baseball where everyone can throw hard, but it's something that we need to be careful with, I think, and especially with kids who are trying to throw hard at such young ages these days. Similarly, um, I'll ask you, how many times have you seen triple digits in person? I have not seen triple digits in person. Um, I've seen uh, I've seen a lot of 99s, um, seen a handful of 98s. Um, but the, when I had seen Kolick um, at Perfect Game National in 2013, he was, you know, the rumors were building um, that he had thrown whatever, 100 plus, 102 or something at the area code workout or tryout in Texas. Uh, and then you, you know, this is a guy who bails hay, you know, that kind of thing, farm boy, country strong. And then he shows up and he was, I think he was only 97. <laughs> what a letdown. Uh, but, you know, I don't, don't know the exact story about you know, what he went into that day. You know, what was the, you know, had he thrown yesterday or had he just gotten off a plane or something, you know, it's, um, but obviously the, the reports are 100 plus with, with boring action. So that's, that's pretty nasty. Yeah, that, that'll play. That, that'll work. Um, so you're going to be doing some draft stuff for us. Who are the most? Who are the guys you most excited to see on this year's class? Uh, well, I think NHSI has a, uh, a tremendous crop of talent coming in. Um, when you, you I mean, st- start things off with Colby Allard, uh, a left-hander with big-time velocity and uh, a curveball that some will project as double plus. Um, you know, I've seen some video on it. I, I don't know if I'm ready to go that far with it, but uh, certainly a, a potential plus curveball. We'll have to see how he he develops. And um, one of the guys I'm most excited to see. Uh, and then I think there's a, a fun little debate cooking. I don't know if I'll get a chance to see Justin Hooper, uh, but Justin Hooper, another big lefty, six seven or so, and just a tremendous tremendous physical build plus. All that stuff. Um, you know, another guy who's got elite velocity. We'll see if he can figure things out mechanically. If he can uh, go into this spring and and really show people that he can repeat um, and command the fastball, that's a guy who has a chance to to jump up the board even more so than he's already at. But I think we're gonna have a fun debate with him and Allard going into the spring. How about from the college ranks? Uh, college ranks. Uh, I think actually, if I don't know if he's he's. Um, not high enough to be a, considered a cheese ball, but uh, Dansby Swanson at at Vanderbilt. We're going to get to see him play up the middle defense, um, hit and run. Um, and yeah, I mean he's just a guy I'm really excited to get eyes on at some point. Uh, there's also there's a lot of really good toolsy guys in college this year. I think um, over the years we haven't seen a, a ton of that. I mean at least as much of it with. You know, a lot of the guys signing out of high school these days, but um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, it's certainly an exciting crop of college talent. Yeah, and we're very lucky here at Baseball America that we are right in the heart of ACC country. Uh, Duke is right here. We're going to get to see Michael Machuela mm-hmm. uh, a lot. Um, we'll get to see Florida State with uh, uh, DJ Stewart will come in. 
Uh, Virginia with Nathan Kirby will come in, and there are, those are just a few names off the top of my head that we'll get to see. Mm-hmm. And not to mention, you mentioned NHSI, Cary Complex is about 20 minutes from here. And then once pro season kicks in, you've got six teams within a couple hours of here. So yeah, it's, it's and, and then UNC has a, this year you can talk about Sky Bolt, uh, but you look at their underclassmen, that's just, that they could be really, really good this year. Even with their under, you know, relying on mostly their underclassmen, um, and going forward, they're going to have a lot of guys who are not draft eligible this year who are going to be around. So, I think that's a, a team to be excited to see. Yeah, they had uh, they got Jacob Bukowskis yeah. in this year's class. That's I got to watch. Not this year's class, but this year's incoming recruiting freshman. class. Yeah, right. Um, so also, uh, what uh, aside from baseball, what people might not know about you unless they follow you on Twitter is uh, you're a hockey guy. You were a, a guy who broadcast the Cornell Big Red. Yeah. So what's where 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 did you find a, a love for hockey in the midst of all this baseball? Uh, I mean, I don't don't know if it's necessarily a love for hockey so much as it is loving to do play by play, especially. Uh, I think hockey is one of the harder sports to do play by play for, just because you're. You're constantly going. You have to be describing something as it's happening, and there's no time to to stop and have a sip of water, really, until you get to you know, the very, it seems like, very rare stoppage of play. Um, but, yeah, I, I got the opportunity to call a lot of Cornell hockey games over the past couple of years, do some traveling in the Northeast, and get to see some really cool uh, hockey arenas. Um, you know, so it was, it was a lot of fun, and... Uh, you know, I'll, I'll certainly be keeping keeping eyes on them over the the rest of this season. I think they have a, a talented club up, up at Cornell. And one more, uh, if if you're a baseball fan of uh, an older generation, you may recognize the name Belinsky. I think you mentioned to me the other day that you are distantly related to. Yeah, it's so, sort of unclear to us how he's related, but um, yeah, a guy who um, I believe through the first no hitter in California Angels history. Um, I mean, I know he threw the first no-hitter for the Angels, but I'm not sure what they were at the time, if they were California or Los Angeles or... And his name was? Bo Belinsky. Yeah, um, yeah, I should probably mention that. Um, but also, just a, a really cool narrative, I guess, for, for Bo Belinsky in that he's kind of viewed as a degenerate human being, but somehow able to you know, get on the field and, and strike people out. Um, I've heard a lot of a lot of fun stories about him through people in, in the game, and uh, it, it is kind of incredible that he can could ever get people out. So has any of that athletic talent translated to uh, you? No, no. Um, who's uh, <laughs> an off-the-bench high school basketball player. I didn't play baseball really at a high level at all. I uh, stopped playing when I got to high school, actually. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, no. Um, I cannot play sports well. Um, well, on that lovely note, um, what you can do very well is evaluate players, and uh, you're, I think you're going to be uh, an excellent addition to our, our team here at Baseball America um, for this, this spring at the very least. Uh, thank you very much for stopping back and taking the 10-foot walk from your desk to uh, <laughs> the, the BA Podcast Nook. And this is Josh Norris and Hudson Belinsky saying goodbye from another Baseball America podcast. Thanks for listening.